Have you ever realized that you didn't know someone quite like you thought you knew them? Well, today at Common Bond Church, we'll discuss how many of us can be misinformed about how much we know about God and how that affects our eternal life and our everyday experiences with God. Stay tuned for this and more. Recently, I had a close friend share with me that he was offended by some statements made about him. He believed that some false assumptions about race and culture were used to describe his personality and his character. He believed that he was stereotyped and he didn't like it one bit at all. It reminds me that oftentimes people who think they know us don't really know us at all. Instead, it is the people around us with those whom we have a personal relationship that know us the best. They've been able to hear our heart, to have personal experiences with us that enables them to know our character and our personality really well. And God feels the same way. There's a deeper level of knowing that we can have with God and with Jesus Christ. And so today we'll discuss that idea of knowing the presence of God and how it benefits our everyday experiences and our eternal life. We'll start our discussion by looking at Matthew chapter 7 and reading verses 21 through 23. Well, let's get right into these scriptures that show us how to know God and his presence. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but everyone who does the will of my Father in heaven. In verse 22, it says, on that day, many will come and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And in verse 23, Jesus Christ said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Well, I wanted to start our conversation in verses 21 through 23 in Matthew chapter 7 by first giving us this idea of what it actually means to be saved. You know, when you think about the salvation experiences that most of us or many of us will have, it begins by us confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior over our life allowing him to forgive us of sin and engaging us now into a salvific experience. Well, when you read verse 21, it seems as though maybe there is a contradiction to what Jesus Christ is saying, because he shares with us, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. That may give us an impression that confession is not enough. Well, what I want to share with us is that it just says not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So most of us, who began that confession, walk with Jesus Christ, fit right in line with these scriptures. But Jesus Christ is also sharing us something very important. Not everyone has authentic faith. Not everyone truly believes in their heart the message of Jesus Christ. Not everyone truly has a salvific experience where they've trusted in God through Jesus Christ for the salvation of their souls. And so God is giving us what I would call a litmus test. He is helping us to be able to understand how your faith is really authentic in true salvation and true faith in him. You know, I like to think about this idea very similar to how we think about currency. You know, think about a dollar bill, for example. We know that in a dollar bill, there's a front and a back. And if you try to take it to a store, the person at the register is always going to make sure to look at the front and back to make sure that your currency is a valid form to be accepted. 
In the same kind of way, God is making sure that we have an authentic faith that is violent, that will be accepted. And once we understand it from his perspective, we can have an assurance that our faith will truly be good in God for all of eternity. So in verse 21, God says that our faith is not just confession. It includes confession. It's one side of the coin. But also our confession must also accompany something else. And that something else in verse 21 is called doing the will of the Father. You know, oftentimes in our Christian walk, maybe we have this belief or this idea that we can just trust God for our life, but we really don't have to do what God actually tells us to do. Well, instead, God is saying something very, very different in this scripture. He is trying to tell you and I the way that we walk, the way that we obey God is a way to validate our faith and whether or not we truly believe in Christ Jesus in our life. So when we begin to confess what we believe in our heart, that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was raised again, it is the start of our salvation experience. Many of us would describe that as grace by faith alone. Well, now we also see in the scriptures that God is calling us to obey the will of God in addition to that confession. Now, that doesn't mean that our grace by faith alone is invalidated. Instead, it validates our faith. And what I mean by that is whenever God begins to share faith in our heart, he begins to do a new move in our life that enables us to obey God in ways that we have never been able to obey God. It is an assurance to our heart that we truly believe God, that he sent his only begotten son to actually die on our behalf. These verses of scripture help us not to move too far beyond what God wants to do in our life. Think about verse 22 in Matthew chapter seven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? You know, when I think about this theme, I think about the heroes of the faith and always of the heroes of the faith. You, you think that they do mighty works in God. You think about how they were the great prophets of old. You think about how they casted out great demons. And I think about this from the context of, of one particular man in particular, like Apostle Paul. And I noticed that even before he became a believer in Christ Jesus, he was a great man. He was known as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, you know, one who had the ability to articulate God and to demonstrate God to a number of people. But one thing was missing in his life, and he was missing this connection that he had with Jesus Christ. And so if you want to actually look in the scriptures and begin to see what God is trying to get us to do, he wants us to always be connected to him. And we see that through the life of Paul, even in Acts chapter nine. You know, he was met on the road to Damascus. And on that road to Damascus, he was eventually led into an encounter with God where it became personal for his life. And I think that this is what the scriptures are trying to lead us to understand is that even if you're great, even if you're able to be a great pastor or a great prophet or a great articulator of God's word, you know, that is still not enough. And it still is not a substitution for being in the presence of God and knowing Jesus Christ intimately. Even if you are able to perform great miracles, God says that that is still not enough. Even if you are able to actually to declare mighty works in the name of God, God still says it is not enough. I am always going to make the sufficiency of the relationship of salvation always about you entering into a personal relationship with me. Another way to think about verse 22 is to think about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In those verses of scripture, Paul begins to say to you and I, 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but not have love, I am a noisy going or a clanging symbol. He also says that if I have prophetic powers, and if I have understanding of all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so I can move mountains, but not have love, then I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, I deliver up my body to be burned, but not have love, I gain nothing. So what the Apostle Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is very similar to what Jesus Christ is saying here in verse 22. They both talked about prophecy. They both talked about doing mighty works. They both talked about even giving up your body for others. But all of them said that you can do all these things, but if you're missing this one key, none of it really matters. And in the case of the Apostle Paul, he's talking about love. In the case of Jesus Christ, I believe that he's going to begin to share with us this word called intimacy. Both of them are the same vein because love is the great commandment of God, where God is calling us to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Everything that we do must be formed in this intimacy that is called God's love so that it begins to have the foundation and the source of all that we do. In the same kind of way, Jesus Christ brings us back into the scriptures with that thought in mind. So when we look at verse 23, Jesus Christ begins to say, I'll declare to them, I never knew you. And when Jesus Christ is saying, I never knew to you, I think that that is the theme of love. You know, one is saying that you never loved me enough that in the way that I've desired you to love me. Because when I think about the word no, I understand in the Greek language, it comes from a root word called gnosko. And that Greek word is supposed to mean an intimate knowing, an intimate knowledge that we have about someone. You know, when I think about my good friends, I know things about them and they know things about me that no one else knows because we are intimately acquainted. When I think about my wife, I love her in a way and she loves me in a way that our love enables us to know each other in a greater depth than anyone else can actually know each other. And in the same kind of way, when you and I put our life to the test, when we begin to love God with all our heart, with all our might, all our soul, all our strength, we'll begin to pursue God in a way where we begin to know him in a greater depth and a greater level that we've never experienced before. When I think about the heroes of the faith, you always see this common theme of their intimacy with God being at the forefront of the conversations that we read about. For example, King David is described in the scriptures as a man after God's own heart. And then you begin to read his life and see some of the things that he says, and it shows you that that intimacy was the basis of all that he was. And in Psalm 139, it is a song written by David himself, and he begins to tell us about this intimate knowing that he had with God and God had with him. In verse one, it says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. See that word know again. You know me when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You know, I love that word no because it helps us to understand that not only are we supposed to be intimately acquainted with God, but God is also intimately acquainted with us. And King David expresses how intimate God is with us. God knows when we sit down and when we rise up. He knows our thoughts, even when we're not saying anything. In verse three, it says, you search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And God even knows the pathway for our life. He knows our future and the places that we are expected to go in life. In verse three, King David says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell to the utmost parts of the sea, 
Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall be before me. You know, I love those passages because they show us the breadth and the depth of God's knowledge and God's knowing with us. You know, it shows us that he is intimately acquainted with our physicality, with our mental capacity, and also the future realities of our life. And also he is intimately acquainted with our presence. He knows that if we are on the west coast of the country, on the east coast of the country, we can escape our, his presence. You know, God is always present with us. And it, it, what King David shows us is just how intimately acquainted God is with us. And now my purpose is to begin to help us to see how God wants us to be intimately acquainted with him. You know, I go to Ephesians chapter one because it talks about our spiritual blessings in our spiritual blessings that God has actually given to us. Verse four says he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know, think about what, what Jesus Christ said in verses 21, 22 and 23 of Matthew chapter seven. It fits in this same theme that God says that our confession is just the start of our salvation. But I desire you to go greater. I desire you to be deeper in me. I desire for you to actually obey me and actually be a person who actually knows my will. Well, God says that that is a spiritual blessing through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. Well, let's begin to discuss some of the things that happen to us when we engage in the presence of God. In John chapter 17, in verse 3, it reads, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. One of the greatest spiritual blessings that we have, probably the greatest spiritual blessing that we have in God, of knowing him, being in his intimate presence, is that we get this opportunity to have eternal life. And eternal life is the foundation of our relationship with God. It means that we are intimately acquainted with God here, being able to know him on a personal level, but that also leads us to have that relationship for all of eternity. A second scripture I want to share with us that talks about the spiritual blessings that we have when we're in the presence of God is found in Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is a familiar passage of scripture that I'm sure that you've heard of before, but I want to read it to you. I want to give you some insight to it. It says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. That sounds like the presence of God to me. When you're able to engage with God, that he covers you in a shelter, in a secret kind of place. When we're at that place, verse two, through the words of David, we can begin to testify just like he did. He testified that I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I wish trust. You know, when I think about God in this kind of vein and this kind of capacity, what it shows me is that God becomes a protector. God becomes a place of safety for us when we actually are in his presence. When I think about being in this presence of God, I also think about it as a place of doing the will of God. You know, I think about a several years ago when I left corporate America and I remember having a conversation with a coworker and I began to tell him about the plans that I have for my life. And as I shared those plans with him for my life, he said, that sounds great, Joseph. You know, I wish you all the best, but I'll be honest with you. I think that that plan that you have is very, very risky. Well, I responded to him from the belly of my heart that the thing that I think is risky is not actually what you said. What I think is most risky in my life is not doing the will of God. So if I was to be able just to stay here and to continue to live my life without stepping out on faith, that would be a risky endeavor for me. And I think that's the same for all of us. 
Whenever God is giving us a pathway to choose in life, often it's because he is trying to protect us. He is trying to give us a place of safety. You know, you can think about even the Noahs of the Bible. When he tried to protect that generation, he told one man, Noah, to build a boat and then get into that boat because a flood is actually coming. God has a way to protect us, to keep us in a place of safety when we actually need it. And during 2020, I think that there's no better time for us to think about protection and safety than right now, because we need to be hearing the voice of God to be telling us to do the things that are necessary so that we are protected and that we are in a place of safety during this turbulent season. A third spiritual blessing that I wanted to share with us today can be found in Psalm 23. It's a famous passage of scripture that you and I may know well, but I want to share it with you from this intimate presence of God perspective that we are talking about today. In verse four, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, the third thing that we receive as a spiritual blessing from God, because we are in his presence, is that we have this ability to be comforted by God and also to no longer be alone. His presence now resides with us. I love the, the passage in Proverbs that tells us that God sticks closer to us than a brother or closer than a friend. He has the ability to comfort our heart. And so that is a, just a beautiful reminder for some of us during the season of time who may feel alone. For some of us during the season of time who may not have the comfort from friends and family that we would desire, there's an opportunity for us actually to be in the presence of God and to re still receive the comfort that we desire in life. As we begin to think about how this practically plays out, I've been reading a book that's called In His Presence. And what I love about this book, it begins to show me and show all of us what it can look like if we just try to attempt to engage in the presence of God. One of the things that really sticks out about this book is that the author of the book talks about trying to be in the presence of God every second of every minute throughout his whole day. And what that really means is he uses this ability to just to think about God, to remember his goodness, to remember the scriptures about God, to think about the songs of God, anything that it takes to bring his mind back into the presence of God. And I've been using that kind of idea for the last several weeks and even months to bring me a new spiritual awakening that I would like to share with you. As I began to practice that in my life, it's been extremely helpful, so much so that God has now awakened me to even get back into a stronger prayer closet. Every single morning, um, God is reminding me to get into that prayer closet and just think about him. Think about what he has done over 2,000 years on the cross. There are certain scriptures that may come to mind in my life. Uh, there's sometimes songs that will come up in my heart, and I consistently think about God, you know, over and over again. Now, I'll be honest with you, sometimes my mind wanders, maybe like your mind wanders, but I'm reminded to always bring my mind back into God and to be thinking about him once again. And we all can do this very similar in our own kind of devotional ways. You know, some of us can use the scripture readings or our own prayer time or even figuring out what songs that we like to sing into worship of God. All those give us an opportunity to engage into the presence of God. And when we engage in the presence of God, I think that you may experience some of the things that I am experiencing in that presence. Is that once I'm in the presence of God, I notice that God can begin to speak to me about my day. And he then begins to share with me some of the wisdom and insight that I need in order to make decisions and choices in life. And it's been such a blessing for me to experience God in this intimate kind of way. And I pray that you get that same kind of blessing just by simply engaging him on a day-to-day -day basis in practical ways. 
If this message has been a blessing to you, I encourage you to go out to our website at commonbondchurch.org and actually fill out a comment card. Let us know how this message is blessing you. And also, if you have a prayer request, you can actually go to that same website, click on the prayer link that we have, and actually send that prayer request. We'd love to engage with you, pray with you, and uh, be connected with you in a greater way. Thank you for tuning in to Common Bond Church this week. I can't wait to connect with you next week as we share a new and fresh message. I hope you have a great day, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Amen.